Welcome to episode 15 of the Notes from Michael White podcast. I'm Peter Kieran. Alongside me is Josh Wagman, and we're going to recap this week's uh, newsletter from uh, Michael White. Anything uh, come out uh, out of this uh, that uh, really sparked your attention, Josh? Yeah, there was a few things. So, uh, Michael, again, hope you're feeling well. Um, reached out and chatted over LinkedIn a little bit last week. So, uh, appreciate you reaching out and and uh, hoping to see you soon once once things open uh, open up a little bit. So, for those that don't know, Calgary and Alberta in general has kind of entered into a an advanced lockdown state, and so. Um, it's uh, it's a little tricky to get out and see friends and family and, and, and stuff like that. It's it's really discouraged at this point in time. So uh, lots of time for tech. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm going to actually go and help Michael with his lab when things open back up as well. So you know, if you're, uh, hopefully he's uh, making his way through uh, building out his new lab and we wish him all the best. Absolutely. Yeah, and so one thing that caught my eye is something you'd mentioned, uh, actually, uh, kind of seeing in his list and thought it was quite intriguing. And just having you go over it a little bit with me has kind of piqued my interest a little bit. And that's like uh, being able to provision uh, virtual machines via Kubernetes with VM service. Um, did you want to go into that a little bit? Sure, absolutely. Uh it kind of dovetails into another uh, little uh, note that I've got is that uh, VMware announced uh, ESX 7 update 2A is out. And with that, uh, we actually at VMware introduced the vSphere virtual machine service. So basically the VM service enables Kubernetes native, native provisioning and management of virtual machines. So if you think about it, how you uh, use Kubernetes to uh, deploy containers, you can now do the same thing with VMs. So uh, I was reading an article from William Lamb and saw a tweet from William Lamb, how he utilized this in his lab to actually deploy one of his nested ESXi hosts, <laughs> all with a, a, a kubectl command and a YAML file. So, uh, you know, it, it allows uh, developers now to basically have a mixed container slash uh, VM workload or application set uh, be all deployed all within uh, with vSphere at Tanzu. So again, it's going to empower your organizations to modernize their apps while maintaining, you know, any uh, um, cloud native experience for the developer, but uh, allowing some of those old um, VM style application sets or, or operating systems that you need to run your applications to be still deployed via the same methodology that your developers are using. So really helps uh, boost some operational efficiency, maybe enforce some guardrails uh, that maybe the IT uh, administrators want to put around a namespace. Uh, a little harder to do. You would have to do with a resource pool before. And uh, now the developer basically has access to their namespace with a certain amount of CPU and memory and, and storage that they have limits based on. And that VM that they deploy as part of the VM service now basically has some guardrails wrapped around it. So. Yeah, it's, uh, I haven't played with it yet myself. Uh, I was planning on getting my lab updated probably to two-way here in the next uh, few days. And then I was gonna try it out myself. I just got, uh, I got vSphere with Tanzu up and running in my lab and with uh, the uh, NSX Advanced Load Balancer, formerly known as Avi, Avi Networks uh, Load Balancer. So I've got that up and running and, and I'm testing a few things out in there. So 
I'm just uh, starting the development process for this year's hands-on lab development. So uh, I'm uh, in charge of uh, building out the, the, the pod for, uh, for all this. So I'm uh, intrigued to see what we're going to show off in the hands-on labs with this uh, virtual machine service as well. Well, yeah, and it'll definitely help, I'm sure, deploying hands-on labs um, as well as uh, the piece I find very intriguing is, is what you touched on, and that's kind of a, a cross-platform anim uh, like uh, automation piece, leveraging YAML and, and allowing app creators and developers to really get to deployment scenarios quickly, uh, especially in uh, kind of a multi-pronged app where you've got some containerization, some traditional virtual machine workflow, and uh, really enables them to kind of deploy everything in a unified, unified and automated way. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that whole marriage between the, you know, the virtualization admin and the developers has been something that many organizations have struggled with is, you know, the developer comes and says, I need a big Linux VM for my container development. And it goes into this big pool of nothingness that you can't really track and see. And with uh, with VMware vSphere with Tanzu and with uh, the whole Tanzu platform, it's really marrying the two things together so that uh, the IT gets the, you know, uh, controls without imp impeding the developer at all allowing the developer to do what they do best, which is deploy and build applications. And the IT administrator now has a viewpoint into what those applications are doing and consuming. And it allows you to secure and, and do those sorts of things as well. So I'm really looking forward to, to uh, try more about it. And uh, you know, if you want at home to uh, try it out, the latest vSphere release is now uh, live and online, you can download it. And uh, if you are not using vSphere with Tanzu, not a problem. Activate a, a live trial on it and, uh, and uh, test it out in your home labs and away you go. Uh, for those of you on VMUG Advantage, it's uh, included in that, I believe. So uh, you can uh, try that out in your labs on a longer, longer basis as well. And uh, the one other thing is uh, that there is a big open source commitment from VMware. And uh, there is actually a repository called the VM Operator Repository on GitHub that uh, the vSphere team released as well alongside of the, uh, uh, alongside the VM service. So uh, if you want to look at any of the source code or anything along those, you're welcome to check it out. It's all on GitHub. And, uh, you know, there's uh, all of those uh, commits and uh, licenses and you know, all the updates are, are all tracked there in the in the GitHub repository under the VMware-Tanzu slash VM-Operator uh, GitHub uh, location. Excellent. Um, so next on the list for me is obviously we like to hit on security a little bit every, uh, every now and then. And one of the articles Michael had uh, highlighted was about uh, how it, it, it's critical to, to update your Macs right now, Mac OS, because there is a extremely critical vulnerability that poses the gravest risk to Mac owners in, in quite some time. Um, what the exploit is, is that apparently, um, there's malware in the wild, even though it's not signed, so it's unsigned, it's being misclassified by Apple's operating system. 
due to some logic errors in the code. And so that means the malware is skipping all of the built-in checking done by all of Apple's security implementation. So gatekeeper, file quarantine, none of it is working on it. Well, wow. so it's, uh, it, it's more affecting downloads that are not part of the app store. So you will have to download something, but basically once that done, um, once you download an application kind of from the general internet, from the web, then it is basically going to execute this code and then provide access to your machine. Um, so uh, apparently it's, it's been patched. So um, update ASAP. Uh, what, uh, what patch do you need to get to? Do you need to go to Big Sur 3.11.3.1 or is it uh, previous to that? Um, it's 11.3, I believe. Um, is the uh, is the version that contains the patch for this. So if you're 11.3 or newer, you should have this fix. Perfect. I'm just upgrading one of my boxes to 11.3.1 as we speak. So um, yeah, a couple other updates that came out as uh, from from Apple uh, were uh, the iOS 14.5 and and uh, one of the neat features in that one is uh, the capability to unlock your iPhone. Uh, with a face mask on, with face ID, by using the watch as a, a secondary authentication mechanism. So uh, I've tried it out. works uh, Works like a charm. Um, I really, uh, <laughs> I'm really liking the fact that now I can use my uh, my phone and easily unlock it without having to type in a 14 character password <laughs> along uh, as I as I go through the the other things. And then uh, lots of uh, other things that. Um, came out uh, over the last week is AirTags started to ship. And I've seen a lot of folks now starting to play with them and see what they can do. And uh, lots of intriguing things about AirTags and kind of uh, how they operate and uh, what, what what you can do with them and uh, you know how they're fully integrated into that Find My X uh, application kind of ecosystem. So if you're an Apple user and you want something that maybe has a touch more functionality than the tile or, or tiles weren't quite doing it the air tags are now available and they're, they're shipping you can get them today so um, intrigued to try some of those out too yeah i've seen some of the pictures of the tags in the twitterverse and they look very small and unassuming so obviously not going to be uh, overly large and kind of get in the way so adding one to the keychain isn't going to be um, some monotonous task that makes it any more uncomfortable than than what your keychain or keyring already is. And I can see it fitting nicely into a number of different scenarios because they've kept that size down. So um, really neat there. Some of the other things that came out in 14.5, one I, I, I'm particularly uh, happy about is app tracking transparency, uh, being able to prevent tracking. This is something, again, from a security standpoint is always nice. And from a privacy standpoint, obviously you hear time and time again about different platforms tracking different information. How much are these companies actually tracking? Well, having the transparency for that, um, I think is, is a big step forward in, into making sure that you're as private as you want to be. Um, you can chose you can choose to uh, enable tracking if you don't mind, 
giving some insight into what you're doing, but myself, I prefer just to um, kind of have most of that turned off and um, kind of go about my business without anybody else seeing what I'm doing. How about you? Yeah, I'm, uh, I've already used it a few times and uh, it's interesting to see, you know, even some of the, you know, the little free games that you play or whatnot, just to find out what they're doing and what they have been doing before that you weren't aware of. And uh, I think it's interesting for anybody who's concerned about, you know, giving their information out to third parties out of state vendors, you know, hey, let's go cash a third party out of state check. Do you mind? Well, you know, that's what a lot of these apps are doing is they're, they're giving away a lot of data in places that you wouldn't make an assumption that they would be doing, but they are. And uh, I like having control of my data like that. And I think Apple's done a very good job of, uh, of dealing with kind of that proliferation of data and putting it back in your, your control, so. Absolutely. Uh, another little, this is kind of more of a, a kind of a surface level feature, but um, the ability to localize the, uh, the voice for Siri has uh, come a long way. And um, so it's just more, uh, more human voices to, to track or to leverage, sorry. And uh, I think it just, um, it does a, a good job of helping globalize that, that functionality. Yeah. And they made a lot of other you know, things. I, I actually use uh, the podcast quite a bit myself, listening to other podcasts and uh, they've, uh, they've done a whole bunch of things wrapped around podcasts and, and uh, how you can add them uh, automatically to your library for offline access. So you can now customize your download and download uh, the notes from Michael White podcast. If you're on an, on Apple uh, straight through the, uh, the, straight through the uh, native app. I know lots of other people use other uh, podcast applications, but the Apple podcast app isn't, isn't bad. So, uh, and they're continuing to make lots of uh, improvements on it. So that's good to see as well. Yeah, and there's other app uh, enhancements as well. So you've got your city charts in Apple Music, see what's trending where. So you can see where in Germany, David Hasselhoff is huge. Um, news is getting a, a little bit of development in. Um, so uh, an improved search experience specifically. I know there's some stuff for reminders. Um, you can finally sort your reminders by uh, title, date, due date, creation date, or priority. Um, and so the uh, figuring out what you have to do and when, it's gonna be a little easier that way. Obviously Apple Fitness, can now stream audio and video from Fitness Plus workouts to any uh, AirPlay 2 enabled TVs and devices. So that's new. Um, some emojis for, for people who are uh, large emoji consumers within the texting uh, realm. And then one thing I think will, especially with the new uh, iPad Pros coming out with the M1 processor, adding the capability uh, for the Microsoft and Sony game controllers is a fantastic move. Um, be bringing those commercial controllers natively into uh, the operating system itself with the supported driver is going to be massive for mobile gaming. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that one. I, I think it's, uh, 
there's just doing a lot of exciting things going on and it's just uh it's an exciting time to be in tech really so yeah absolutely uh, uh let's see let's mo let's move on from our apple stuff we've kind of gone there um one of the other items that i noticed on there is uh vmware has a vct dcv 2021 out and uh uh, Michael has noted that there's a study guide that's now been published, and I'm just pulling it up here so that I can tell you who it was because I, I can't remember off the top of my head. So uh, I highly recommend uh, the latest go round uh, of all of um, VMware's e exams. They're they're uh, I would say becoming uh, very very fair tests of knowledge as opposed to some of the rote memorization maybe that it was in the past with five five or those sorts of things so uh, it's um it's uh the the new dcd uh vcap exam that i took uh, was one of my favorite exams of all time and so really um looks like it's shane wilford has developed a new uh, uh develop this study guide. So the there's a PDF of the study guide that you can download. Uh, Shane Wilford's a senior systems engineer, I believe. Um, um, he partnered with uh, Paul Wilk last year to do it. And this year he's uh, written it, uh, you know, he's been basically doing a whole bunch of these uh, study guides for anything from a CCNA to a VCAP to Veeam certified architect. So uh, this guy's got some great content and I highly recommend you check it out if you're thinking of studying for the VCP exam. I just noted that I've got to update mine because uh, apparently my new VCAP doesn't uh, line up with my old uh, VCP. So I've got to make sure that I've got both of, both of them aligned. So I got to do the, do the VCP this year, so. Yeah, obviously this is uh, an outstanding resource by uh, created by a person that's, like you mentioned, created a number of these study guides and, and all have been pretty effective in just kind of focusing in on the information you need to be able to successfully uh, write the exams. And so I'll definitely be giving this one uh, a read as I, I too have uh, long needed to update my VCP. Your um, VCP3 doesn't count anymore, Josh. Right, so. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to believe how long it's been. But I, uh, I, I, I looked back and I actually have a VCP from the VCP two days. So I was actually one of the uh, one of the first ones on the VCP bus, and then I've upgraded to five five and six five, and haven't done the haven't done the latest one. So I gotta get the latest one under my belt. I was waiting for uh, the twenty twenty one exam to come out because uh, I've been working on VSphere seven for so long. I didn't want to take a six dot seven exam. I did that for the VCAP uh, exam and and uh, didn't do so well. Uh, I mean, I, I, I almost passed, but it was still a fail. <laughs> and a lot of that was I just, I hadn't used the flash interface in two years and uh, I ran out of time. So, but uh, with the latest exam on uh, on vSphere 7, I uh, thought it was a really fair exam from a VCAP deploy perspective. And obviously the new DCD 2021 for our VCP uh, is gonna be, a, it looks to be a good exam as well, so. Excellent, and yeah, I mean, obviously waiting for the current exam is desirable because of the fact, especially like uh, people like ourselves, which there are a lot of in the technical field you update your labs quickly that's tend where you tend to go to the newer versions first and so when you're digging around getting deep into settings seeing what'll break and what won't 
it's usually on the newest version. So that's, it's nice to have an exam kind of up to date now and uh, definitely start uh, using this as, as a resource to get leveled up. Awesome, anything else uh, from uh, the, uh, from, from the, the newsletter this week that you wanna touch on? And... So Ian Sanderson has been kind of putting together a three-part article on the Synology 1621XS Plus. That's a tongue twister, can't say it real fast, but. Um, and so he's done work with Veeam before uh, as a Vanguard VMware expert or a V expert. And so obviously uh, part of the same communities that a that, uh, large number of us are. And has an excellent article about leveraging this Synology model for um, especially virtual machine creation. And so the latest iteration of this article or uh, part three is uh, focused on SSD read and write cache acceleration and how much of an impact that makes in the Synology and, and how to set it up. And so what we're seeing is, especially in sequential IO, uh, when, we're, when we're talking about sequential one meg blocks, if you've got SSD cache enabled on, uh, on the Synology, we're seeing significant performance uh, to the tune of, uh, for sequential writes, 743 megabytes per second and write speed, and that's for read, and write speeds uh, over a gigabyte per second. So uh, significant performance for what you would probably label as a, a prosumer type device, something you use at home for a lab, uh, maybe some video editing archive uh, storage or something along those lines, but significantly high performance. Yeah, I think when you when you look at uh, the 1621XS, it's kind of de definitely geared at that prosumer market, but it's it is a dream box for the uh, for the kind of the home labber. It, it has it ticks all the boxes. You get the caching, the SSD caching with the NVMe. You got six drive bays, so you can have plenty of capacity, and you get the 10 gig uh, support as well uh, built built right into the box. So you don't have to add a separate daughter card or anything along those lines. So, and, and you can get up to six, uh, 32 gig of RAM in this thing as well. So uh, definitely something if you're in the market for a new storage box for your home lab or, or just need storage in general at home, this would be one I would definitely look at. Oh, and I, I should correct myself because I was actually uh, looking at the baseline numbers. So the SSD enabled tests. So where we saw that 750 megabytes per second yeah. with SSD cache enabled, that goes to 3.2 gigabytes per second on a Windows 10 VM. So we're talking a factor of, of almost five uh, for performance increase. Uh, write speeds went up a couple hundred megabytes per second. And that's sequentially again. But um, yeah, significant, significant performance difference. So apologies and for it, getting wrong. Yeah, no worries. I mean, it looks like he's got two 400 gig uh, SSDs, one for read, one for write, and uh, getting tremendous performance, right? So obviously it's well worth investing the extra money for a little bit of SSD cash for the acceleration. And, you know, uh, even with just the base RAID 10 setup, it's already pretty darn fast. So, I mean, it's probably 10X my Sonology 421J uh, is, right? Which is... A, 
quite quite old box or it's 413j i think is what it is so you know mine's almost eight years old now so it's probably you know getting time for an upgrade for myself so well and, and someone might ask okay like this this is a great device might be a little bit of cash to to get one and so why do you need this type of performance in a in a home scenario uh, well if you spend a significant amount of time, like many of us do in, in your VMware lab, uh, tearing down and building up new machines, maybe you're running containers like a Kubernetes or a Tanzu type deployment, where you're constantly playing around with different technology, the faster you can get this stuff done means the more efficient you can do your lab work and you don't get caught doing lab work for 18, 20 hours a day. Um, so having that performance is definitely beneficial. And in my opinion, definitely worth the extra little bit of money in, in upgrading the hardware level. And as well, I've used my lab significantly in the past for customer demos. And if you're showing certain technology to customers, it's always nice to have more of a real world performance scenario instead of always having to use the excuse that, oh, it's just my my little lab at home, so it doesn't quite have the speed of a, of a production infrastructure. Well, if you can provide that speed and that functionality within your own little lab, it, it goes a long way to actually showing what, uh, what your platform is capable of if you're using it for that. Absolutely. You know, I, I just look at the numbers on here and I'm, I'm just blown away, so. <laughs> Got Another purchase Got in your future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got, got too many of those right now. <laughs> I got some basement windows. I got some basement windows to to pay for first. Speaking of which, yeah, <laughs> and something else that's coming in late June for you, right? <laughs> yeah, so I pulled the trigger. Speaking of purchases, that's kind of where I was going. I uh, I got my iPad Pro twelve point nine ordered. I ordered the one terabyte model so I could get the RAM upgrade to sixteen gigs. And so I, I get cellular and everything I buy Apple wise, because obviously uh, being kind of a, a technical pre-sales resource, I usually have to do demos in, in some interesting situations. And so having network connectivity and really that ability with the new iPad pros to scale the display using more of a, the Thunderbolt technology than um, previously was allowed with the uh, with the iPad platform, it's going to be become probably my road warrior machine and, and what I'm taking to customer sites to run those demos. So having that cellular connectivity, I'm super excited for it though. Absolutely. I, I guess the only question is, uh, did you get the space gray or the silver? Uh, everything I get is space gray or black. Oh, <laughs> I'm very go. boring. There, there you go. <laughs> Unlike the Metallica of, of tech, everything has to be black. Exactly. Uh, excellent. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on? I think I'm through all of what I had to cover off uh, other than uh, this week, it was May the 4th. Uh, we were originally gonna require, uh, record on May the 4th, but uh, ended up not. So we won't bore everybody with Star Wars cliches, but- uh, I've got one more thing. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> and um, so this was something I found on Tech Radar. And I, we talk about gaming hardware from time to time, and this is kind of something that piqued my interest because obviously in the last few years, 
Microsoft or uh, Intel's integrated graphics processing still lags behind fairly significantly to uh, mid to high-end graphics cards, but they've done a lot to try to level the playing field as much as they could for an integrated platform. Um, obviously getting blown out of the water by the M1 processor and, and soon the M1X or M2. But what we're seeing now is the uh, dedicated graphics card from Intel is apparently right around the corner. And so it's uh, apparently tied to their XE, uh, high, XE graphics platform. Um, so they've been working on that significantly for the last little while. And we haven't seen too many technical details about it yet. But what we're kind of hearing in the wild is that the performance could be falling somewhere in the mid-level, uh, like the RTX 3070 or 3080 type performance, which would be huge for Intel. And, and the 3080 is not a lightweight platform. So um, significant performance potentially from this card if it slots right in there. Um, one of the features that it's said to have is ray tracing. Um, and very importantly, because of the way ray tracing works and how much uh, processing is required for uh, like new 4K games at 50 or 60 frames per second, apparently it's going to have some type of super sampling technology, very much like NVIDIA uh, with the uh, deep learning super sampling that they've got. So render the frame at a lower rate or a lower resolution so that the card can keep up uh, better and then use machine learning to upscale the resolution. So in effect, what you're doing is you're taking a graphics card and processing a, a smaller image or a smaller picture and then upscaling it through machine learning that's much more efficient than trying to actually uh, render a frame at the native resolution. So very cool to see Intel stepping up into this space. I'm interested to see where the pricing is going to come in, number one. And number two, where does the performance actually fit into the world of graphics cards? And are they going to release more than one? Are they just going to have one for high-end gaming? Very interesting to see their kind of push into this. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. And, you know, with, uh, with Pat Gelsinger at the helm there, I'm sure they're going to be doing some really great and innovative things to uh, really bring the shine back to the Intel name. That's for sure. And then one of the other things you don't even think about, but is this going to push the technology back into their integrated platform? So are they going to leverage some of this technology to increase the performance? Because obviously they've got a lot of work to do in that, on that system on a chip type architecture to be able to compete with, with what ARM is doing and what App, uh, Apple is doing right now. So um, this type of technology, even though it's it's dedicated right now, you could see that make its way back into those integrated systems. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting time, uh, seeing how Intel has kind of been the market, uh, you know, eight hundred pound gorilla in the in the chip market forever, and and now they're seeing serious challenges, not just from uh, from 
you know, their traditional marketplace with AMD, but also, you know, from the ARM manufacturers, you know, including Apple with their M1 uh, series, but, uh, you know, even the, uh, even the Qualcomm Snapdragon platform on the ARM side is, is really stepping up to challenge some of that, that marketplace that used to be, you know, entirely dominated by Intel. So it'll be interesting to see how they respond to that and, and see how they do, you know, kind of system on a chip and and what that's going to mean uh, from a performance and and quite frankly from a from a TDP perspective as well you know one of the things that I noted about uh, some of the uh, the 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 interesting news you know is a lot of other chip manufacturers have already got down to five uh, nanometers and 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 even IBM came out and is, has a two nanometer process now, and they're still stuck in the 10 and sevens. So they're, they're a little bit behind the manufacturing curve as well. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't count them out. They're too big of a, a player in the marketplace to, uh, to not come out and come back swinging, that's for sure. Well, and, and the same thing, like companies go through flat spots and you see someone like an AMD who for a few years there, still wondered at times if they were in business, but then they come roaring back with the Ryzen series a couple of years ago. And, and it just takes a little bit of innovation to kind of put yourself right back on the roadmap. And so um, it, it doesn't have to be a significant overhaul, but I think this is a good first step to getting back into the people's mind share, especially on something that could potentially work on various different platforms because of the fact that it is dedicated and you don't need a whole compute structure around it. You basically can plug it into most systems that you might already have. Um, so really, uh, really good to see them starting to innovate again. Um, I think it's uh, obviously with the chips they've got coming out later in the year, we might see some more, but uh, yeah, definitely some stuff to talk about there. But as far as the list goes for this week, that's that's about all I had. Excellent. Well, with that, we'll uh, wrap it up for this week, and uh, we'll look forward to another episode of Notes from Michael White, the podcast, uh, next week sometime when Josh and I are both available. I know we both have pretty busy weeks next week. So, excellent. Well, uh, I will wrap it up with that. Any last words uh, that you want to say? No, I just uh, everybody, especially in Alberta and, and uh, well, really all over the world. I know there's areas opening up. Enjoy it. Um, if you haven't got your vaccine yet, um, I'd highly encourage you. I got the AstraZeneca one. No side effects for me. I know Same some here. people, yeah. some people felt a little wonky after, but um, anyway, stay safe. Um, Michael, hope you're doing well. And I guess we'll chat next week. Absolutely. With that, we'll sign off and thanks everybody for listening and uh, please subscribe on your, uh, on your favorite podcast platform and uh, we thank you for your patronage.